I want more of the life experiences. I want more of the time with my loved ones. I want more of like the core memories and things like that. That to me is where value is. Money can help me have more of those. But for me, it's not about buying a $600 purse. Like, no, take me to Walmart, whatever. I'll get the $20 purse, right? I'd rather take that $600 and take my mom and dad out for an amazing Father's Day dinner or something. Welcome to Million Dollar Flip Flops, the podcast that invites you on a transformative journey to unlock the secrets of living life to the fullest. In this podcast, we dive deep into the minds of thought leaders, game changers, and business builders from around the world. If you're a business owner feeling trapped, overwhelmed, and longing for the time freedom you once dreamt of, this podcast is your beacon of hope. Buckle up, because here we go. Hey gang, I just hopped off a call with Katrina Scarlett. She is way up in Canada. All right, maybe not way up, but uh, she is a customer experience professional and the CEO of Scarlett and Company. If you're that entrepreneur that, you know, you build the thing and the thing goes out there and you just can't put your finger on why it's not great, why it's not connecting, and you just absolutely want the best experience for your clients, that's exactly what Katrina does. She is absolutely brilliant in all things customer service and more and just a wonderful human being. And I know you're going to love our chat. So let's listen in. How long have you been kind of working out on your own? We'll say like working on my own shit. Yeah. Well, as an entrepreneur or, or have you bounced back and forth between like entrepreneur slash employer employee yeah so i left i left my corporate like resort life um in 2015 march of 2015 and i've been doing my own thing ever since so here's the question of the day and you know this the show is really about i wanted to name the show what if your whole life is wrong and i got some pushback from the team on that (laughs) i love that but did jay squash it (laughs) i think you know i don't it's not (laughs) for those of you listening (laughs) We're recording these episodes before launch and we are in the process of naming. I'm just now seeing album art and all of those things. So I think it's going to be million dollar flip flops just because it's on brand. I wanted right map, wrong mountain. I thought that was a great name. Oh, that's kind of fun. But the, as I polled people about it, they're like, but like they had no idea what, what it was I was talking about. But, um, but the theme of the show is really the, con- the continuous thread is where did you go wrong in you you built a thing that ultimately you go this is not it and you had to pivot have you had that experience Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur or like in general because i could probably say like five things like there's there's definitely i think i could think probably you know i'm proudly 42 now and i think that there's probably like three area like times in my life where like I had to pivot because life just felt wrong right like I can think about you know when I moved back to Ontario from BC heaven forbid if any of my BC friends are listening to this if you're still friends with me this doesn't apply to you um half of the reason I left is because I realized I was in a kind of a world that I didn't really fit in I loved where I lived and all that stuff and I did really like what I was doing 
But the people I had surrounded myself with, especially in one area when I first moved to BC, they weren't good for me. Like there was too much partying. There was too much like superficialness. There was, it just like, we were having fun and I was in my mid to late twenties. But at, like at one point I woke up and I'm like, why am I partying so much? Why am I drinking so much? I'm like, oh, I don't actually like the people I'm surrounding myself with. Like, no, like I'm not lifting them up. They're not lifting me up for sure. And I'm like, and I'm just doing status quo just to fit in. Right. Yeah. So I like, I just like, okay, I'm done. Resigned from my resort, moved elsewhere in BC, met a much more aligned group of people who are a lot more um, positive in nature. And just, it was more than just partying and drinking. And like, it was just, it was a better lifestyle. And and even at that point, that kind of worth in at some point too, where I decided to move back to Ontario for multiple reasons. But that first move mid BC, when I was in my mid to late twenties, I was like, I have to move myself out of this situation because I'm not going to move myself forward. I'm not going to grow in the situation I'm in now. And if I don't fix it, like the road for me is dark. (laughs) So like that one for sure. And then in my, so, you know, basically my whole life, other than starting my, my entrepreneurship journey was in luxury resort management. Um, And so when I moved back to Ontario, I came to a prominent resort here in Ontario and was there for five years as their senior event manager. And Anyone who's ever done the world of resorts, being a resort kid, as you say, because I started in resorts when I was 17, 18, it is a hard lifestyle. (laughs) You're always on like, and I did a four year stint on cruise ships too, right? So like you're always on and I love the work and the job, but like there's a lot of politics. There's a lot of... um, long days, like 16, 18 hour days. And you do the math, you're getting paid $1.98 to every hour you work. And like, you're not seeing bonuses. They're going to your management. Like everyone else is reaping the rewards of your success and your hard work. And like met some of the coolest people though, like got to do weddings for celebrities and things like that. So like that stuff was cool. But like, I bought my first house when I was 32 and I vividly remember in like August of that first year, it was 11 o'clock at night and I was trying to mow my lawn in Crocs in the dark (laughs) with a push mower because that was the only opportunity I had to cut my grass and heaven forbid, I did not want my neighbors to think I was not taking care of my house. And I was like, this, something has to give here. This is not ideal. So that was the defining moment. (laughs) Not necessarily that particular moment, but it started. (laughs) But then I met, I met my, I say husband in quotes because we've been together for 11 years, but we're not officially married, but I met him that next season, that next summer. And then I had a reason to like try to be home on time for dinner. And like, I had commitments to go and like spend time with his family. And like, it was more than just like me going to work and sleeping and going to work and sleeping and that, like there was more to life at that point. And I was breaking commitments, right? I was showing up late for dinners. I was, and I was like, this is not the world I want for myself. Like I do not want to be giving 90% of myself to a corporation over here when the people in my life who I really do love, who really do matter, who really do hold me up and support me are getting 10% of me at best. 
right? Like that just became unacceptable to me. And I ended up meeting, I missed a dinner and I was like crushed. I was like, that's, I'm done. That's not happening again. Like, and so then I started putting in motion how I was going to exit and what that looked like for me, because I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs, but my husband's father is a serial entrepreneur. So I started to get exposed to what it could look like to have like your own business and be more in control. Um, And so started like having bigger conversations with him and thinking more about it. And then I remember I registered my business like in November, but I didn't resign until February. So I like started like to pile away the cash. I started to make the plans and all that stuff. And yeah, just kind of pulled the ripcord and just went, nah, see if it works. So, you know, I talk a lot in the book about how people don't, I don't think people are afraid of change. The people I work with are not afraid of change. They're mm-hmm. afraid that their decision is going to be wrong mm. and what the impact of that is going to look like for their life. So what gave you the confidence to take that first step? So I think I'll go far back and give most of the credit to my parents because I was brought up very much in a perspective of give it a try. If it's not for you, all good. We'll figure it out, right? Right. You want to try that sport? Go try that sport. You want to go and take this like, you know, day trip. Let's go do that. Like, so my family was really good at encouraging me to kind of step outside of the box, which was also unusual because I grew up in like the 80s and 90s and I was an only child. Like my friends thought I was crazy or my parents were crazy because I was allowed to like try things and like have that sense of like safety net where most of them were like, you're not allowed to leave. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Um but like I started like when I was seven, they sent me away to summer camp in Northern Ontario, like seven hours North of Toronto on an Island in the middle of God knows where for two weeks at seven years old. I'm like, just figure it out. We'll see you in two weeks. And I stayed at that. I stayed going to that summer camp until I was 22 as staff. Wow. That's so like, awesome. <laughs> right. Some of my bestest friends are from that area of my life. So I had that, right? Like when I decided I wanted to try cruise ships, my dad was like, hell yeah, go for it. If it doesn't work out, we'll see you at the airport. We'll pick you up. Yeah. So the support network, really. Yeah. Like I remember when I when I told friends I was going to go and do cruise ships, some of my friends thought I was batshit crazy. They thought I was like out of my mind. And and all of their comments were like, what if you hate it? What if it doesn't work out? I'm like, I come home? Yeah. What a concept, right? <laughs> Right. Like I come home and I try something new. And so, and when it came to like starting my own business and even like making decisions in my business, even like kind of pivoting who I serve and stuff, it's always been like, okay, well, if this doesn't work, we just go through the process again. Right. We just pivot again and we do the deep work. We figure out what's calling to us. We figure out what's, what we feel is the next right best step. And I think that that's really the only thing we can do is do what we feel is the right next step right? That's it. And and trust that you'll catch yourself and your support network will help hold you up if it doesn't work out. And like when I left my job and started my own business, one of my biggest things, and again, people back then thought I was crazy because they just weren't exposed to that kind of like, oh, we'll just figure it out, right? They instantly just assumed it would be a failure, right? Why would you start your own business in this economy? Oh my gosh. Like you're leaving a secure job. You could be here forever. And I'm like, yeah, that's what scares me. I don't want to be here forever. (laughs) 
right? Making $50,000, maybe 30,000 after tax and like working my ass to the bone, right? Like, no, thank you. Um, and they're like, well, what if, what if your business fails? And I was like, well, first off, that doesn't even really seem like an option to me. Like, I feel like I'll figure it out until it's not a failure or it's not failing. But even if I decide at any point that being an entrepreneur is not for me, I have full confidence in myself to know that I am very employable. Like I'll go be an electrician tomorrow if I want to. I'm smart enough. I'll figure that out. Yeah. I think, you know, it's so true that, and those people who were saying that to you, that's why I always caution who you should take advice from and why it shouldn't, Mm. it shouldn't be the person close to you and their lens is so different. And if you look at corporate people versus entrepreneurs, I've been an entrepreneur, you know, all but three years of my life. And Mm -hmm. it's the scariest thing in the world to me is to have a boss with all the power over my future. That is not security to me. (laughs) As an entrepreneur, I have to screw up hundreds and hundreds of times in order for it to fail or to not have a job versus Bob comes in tomorrow and tells me, sorry, bud, (laughs) you know, that is scares me to death, you know, but, but people in that position, they don't look at it that way. They look at entrepreneurship as the scariest thing in the world. And what if you mm-hmm. fail and they're worried about what people will think about them if they fail? Yeah. I would say like, that is probably when I think of the people in my world who gave me that resistance and weren't supportive, that was more about Like that was more their, um, their motivation, if you will, is that like, well, what will people think if you fail? Like, I don't care. Like, I'd rather people look at me and say, there's somebody who's trying versus being another person who kind of just hangs out in the corner, right? And just does what I'm supposed to do. And feel like I've kind of, I won't say I've always gone against the grind, but I've always, I've never prescribed to the, you know, the, the whole expectation that, you know, by 25, you should be married and starting to have kids and looking for the white picket fence. And I was like, no, like, first off, I'll get married when I find the right person, not because I'm 25, because that seems like a disaster in the waiting. Right. But like, uh, if I'm not married when I'm 80, there's probably a reason why, right? Like that stuff doesn't, like, I didn't want to do things on other people's timeline. And I also had the encouragement, especially from my father to get the experience while I could before things like a family and a house and more commitments came. It was always like, get the experience while you can. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but you'll be somebody who can say you tried rather than being in your fifties and saying, man, I wish I took that job in BC. I wish I tried cruise ships. I wish I traveled more like, cause you can't change that. You can't get back your 20s when you're in your 50s, as much as some people try. (laughs) Well, how wrong we are in Western society. You know, we we follow what society tells us is success, whether it is success for us or not. And Mm -hmm. you you look at my life. I mean, I'd I'd have hundreds of millions more dollars if I didn't travel as much as I have. But I also know that I don't want to be 80 and and. I'm not going to bungee jump Victoria Falls Bridge in Zambia when I'm 80, but I did it when I was 28, you know, Right. but that idea that you're going to, you're going to buy back your health. You're going to buy back your energy. You're going to buy back your loved ones who aren't there anymore Mm. to experience these things with you. Yeah. 
And now I'm starting to see friends of mine who are having those revelations themselves. And it's painful to see them going through it because I know they can't get back thirties. I know they can't, you know, go back on that trip with those four friends who now are no longer connected. Like all those things that they sort of missed out on or, or decided not to do out of a place of fear or being in, you know, discomfort or finances, whatever it is. And I can see the, I want to say regret, but it's almost more like a longing, if that makes sense. Like, it's like, I talk to them about some things. I'm actually really careful about some of the stories I share with them and talking about my past, because I know it actually brings up like sadness for them because they knew that they had opportunities. Like I had a friend who had the opportunity to go do cruise ships and chose not to do it because they were just too scared. And now they hear me telling them that's like some of the best years of my life and some of the most incredible people and learning and experiences I had. And I can see as soon as it comes up, it's like sunken feelings. And I'm like, man, like you can't really, you can't really fix it other than starting to live more intentionally now, right? You can't fix what's happened in the past, obviously. That's it. You nailed it there. You know, because yeah. the, the people that know there's a better way and still don't change, like that's where mm. you, you can't help those people. You know, oh, yes. I didn't do all these things in my 20s and 30s and now they're 40 and they're still not doing the things they say they want to do. And mm-hmm. 10 years from now will be the same and 10 years from now will be the same and 10 years from now will be the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw I saw a quote actually on Instagram, yeah, maybe yesterday the day before, and it made me think of you because it was um something like the it was like the scariest thing is not taking an opportunity. The scariest thing is being in the same place you are today this time next year. That was my quote. That was on my story. <laughs> I put almost the exact same thing up. It was either yesterday Did or you? the day before. Yeah, it was the the because it said grow. The last word was grow. yes was it yours then right after that's that would if it was your post that would explain why it made me think of you (laughs) hey gang it's roderick and i hope you're enjoying today's show what i've found as a lifelong entrepreneur and certainly in coaching other entrepreneurs around the world for the last 20 years is that we all pass through five phases on our business journey from the believer to the business buddha You need the first two, you want the last two, but sadly, most of us get stuck in the middle and start the cycle over, some of us forever. Knowing where you are reveals a clear path for where you need to go. I've created a free quiz that when answered honestly, will tell you where you currently are, but most importantly, will reveal your next steps. You can take the quiz right now at milliondollarflipflops.com forward slash quiz. This has taken me 20 years of in-the-trenches trial and error to develop, and it's designed to change the way you look at your business and your life forever. Are you the showman? Are you the anxious philosopher? Maybe you're the peaceful warrior. There's only one way to find out. Take the free quiz now at milliondollarflipflops.com forward slash quiz and see where you land. The results may shock you. Now back to the show. So... Tell me about, you know, as, as you're building this business, how long has Scarlet and Company been a thing? So I I rebranded my original business, if you will, which was more about tech integration and operations support in 
February of 2019 is when I incorporated Scarlet and Co. And started in on this more this mission more towards customer experience. And that was that was driven more by just narrowing down your avatar. Yeah, it was. um, This is going to be funny to say because part of the catalyst was so it was getting more more focused on how I could make a greater impact and bring something more to the table for others. But a lot of it actually came from good old Amber, (laughs) the common thread. Um, When I started working with her years ago and helping support her business, this is now probably six years ago or so. At one point, she called out what my secret sauce was. And it was the fact that I come with a hospitality background. And I bring a focus on customer service and support and just hospitality as a whole to the online space. And whenever I'm even like, you know, back then when I was doing a lot more integration and tech support and setup stuff, I'd always be asking you like, yeah, but how does that support the customer? Like, are we just doing this to save money? Are we doing this just to streamline things? And if so, is it at the detriment of the customer? And if it is, is it really the right decision, right? Or how do we make this more customer friendly? And just even in how I deal with people and internally, like how I treat her team and how I speak to her team. So one day she called me out on it and just like identified for me that that was my secret sauce. And all my time, I was just like, to me, it's so natural, like, because I've been doing it since I was, well, probably 15, if you go back to one of my first jobs. But it's so like just ingrained in who I am and the tech side of it. Like my dad's a program engineer. So the tech is in my DNA. That stuff comes easy to me at the end of the day, right? So I was all focused on the tech side, not even realizing that I was bringing a certain different element to what I was doing compared to other people servicing the online space. And once she mentioned that to me, and I started actually paying attention to what other people who did what I was doing and other people I worked with in the online space, how they approach things, I was like, huh, I think she was right. (laughs) I usually is. (laughs) And I just started paying more attention to my own online business experiences and being like, huh, they could have done that better. They could have treated me better. They could have reached out to me differently. They could have said like just things like that. I started paying more attention to all the opportunities that existed for people to improve customer experience and their focus on the customer in the online space and started realizing how much it really was transactional for a lot of people and how much people were over automating and too concerned about streamlining to the point at the detriment of the customer. Right. And, you know, I think it was, I knew, especially because when I really started to get into the online space in 2016 or so that it was all like automation was new. It was exciting. It was like, oh my gosh, look at all the things, like look at all the possibilities in online business and how we can make money. And there was a ton of bro marketing happening at that time, right? With, you know, let me help you make $6 million in five days. And like (laughs) all all the kitschy marketing and all that stuff was really prevalent. I found, um, and I will say I I fell I fell into some of them in terms of like thinking things were quick wins and whatever as I was starting to learn more about the online space. But just in that alone, I like I reflect back on some of that now and I'm like, wow, like people really did so many people went into online business 
to be transactional and not actually take care of people and act from a place of service. And it just seems so mind blowing to me because to act in service of others, like it just is so ingrained in me that I can't, I can't, I thought about starting my business to see how I could impact people. It wasn't about making money. Money doesn't make me happy. Right. And I've known that for a long time, but I wanted to see how I could make an impact, how I could be a more, how I could be a bigger service to people. And so to start thinking about the fact that there was people out there starting and running businesses who thought of it completely different and were trying to essentially, and, and some, and sometimes even like, you know, intentionally dehumanize their business, taking the human element out of their business. I was like, that is a scary path. Like that. I don't want to be looking at the people I work with and looking at you as a number on a spreadsheet and an email on my email list. Like I want to look at Roderick as Roderick, right? Not like a notch in a belt somewhere and yeah. a, you know, on a, on a spreadsheet or whatever. Like, and so, yeah. So once I started paying attention, I was like, there's a huge gap in opportunity here where I can be of impact and service. I was talking with somebody about AI and content creation mm. and how, as that becomes more prevalent, eventually think about the people who have an automated system that is going out on social media and liking things and commenting on things and et cetera. And now their, their content is going to be AI driven too. And if you fast forward that, eventually it's just a bunch of computers talking to each other. None of us are there. It's, I've got AI making my content and then your a Katrina's AI bot goes out mm. and likes it. And it's what's the point of any of it, right? <laughs> right. You right. start to go down these crazy right. rabbit holes, but so I want to I want to go back and talk about something you said where you you found out early on that money doesn't make you happy. I want to know about that. I think I can't actually say when I realized it. I think I can say like when I was towards the end of my resort career and I was starting to realize how much, not even like trading time for dollars, right? And going back to like, I literally did the math one day and it was sad. It was like a dollar 98 to the, like for what I was, it was horrible. And probably should never have done that in retrospect. It was very deflating, but it was, I realized at one point that it wasn't that I was trading time for dollars as much as I was trading like life and experiences and time with loved ones for little to no dollars. And I was like, one, I'm putting my heart and soul into a job that is only ever going to pay me this much. I was never going to be somebody there making multiple six figures or whatever. Like I was always going to be at this level, maybe this level. Right. And so I'm like, not that that's motivating. Like I, I'm motivated to stay in that job because I love the work I did. I love the people I worked with, the clients that I got to, to be a part of like their big events and things like that. I was like, I want more of the life experiences. I want more of the time with my loved ones. I want more of like the core memories and things like that. That to me is where value is. I recognize that money can help me have more of those and help me do things that I may not be able to do otherwise, like greater travel and things like that. So there's certainly, there's a purpose to wanting to make more money. But for me, it's not about driving a fancy car or, you know, buying a $600 purse, like, no, take me to Walmart, whatever. I'll get the $20 purse, right? I'd rather take that $600 
and take my mom and dad out for an amazing, you know, Father's Day dinner or something. That to me is how I want to spend my money, not on shit, right? Not on stuff that's going to collect dust on my shelf. So I think that's probably around when I realized it. But then I also, I don't know if I've actually shared with this with you, but in about 2018, I like finally decided I was no longer wanted to be in debt. So actually your YouTube about card payments, have we talked about this? I don't think no. a little bit, maybe. So your, your YouTube about card payments, when I saw that one, I was like, oh man, because I was like, I'm done being in debt. Like I had this revelation one day that like on my credit card, I was still technically paying off a $70 dinner I had three years ago because I was just rolling <laughs> over credit credit. And I was like, I'm still paying for that. Like, no, like this is ridiculous. And I don't, I kind of just made that dis- that decision that I don't prescribe to the philosophy that you'll always be in debt. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the philosophy that you're always going to have a car payment, right? Like, no, I can write the ship so that my next car I'm buying in cash. Like I'm driving my 2015 Chevy Trax. I own it out right now. And I'm going to drive that thing into the ground because my goal is that my next car I'm buying in cash and it's possible, right? Well, it's just, it's mindset where, you know, you're, you're taught to have a car payment and then it's okay. And then everybody has one and you don't go into a dealership and they ask you what the car costs. It's how much can you afford per month? It's right. And how many people will tell you, Oh, I've got this new car. Well, how much is it? Well, it's $500 a month. No. How much is it? Yes. Like, and so and perpetuated by the fact, like I grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada's home of General Motors. Everyone, you know, I grew up in Detroit or had some, (laughs) exactly. We've had this conversation, right? (laughs) Everyone you knew at some, in some way or form was connected, right? My dad ran computer systems for the General Motors plant. My grandfather used to be there, like head electrician and painting and all kinds of stuff, right? Like, so I watched my family growing up rolling car over car over car every two years, new car, every two year, new car, right? And always having a car payment. And I'm like, so that was just normal to me. And then all of a sudden, like, especially once I bought my house, because at the time, like I was single trying to, on what I now consider not the greatest salary, trying to live life and pay for a house, not just a mortgage, but hydro property taxes, like all the things that come after you buy the house. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, this doesn't like, this doesn't have to be the way it has to be. Right. And, and the car payment thing was a big one for me. I'm like, I don't want to agree to that anymore. I've agreed to that for 40 years or 35 years. Right. I'm like, I don't, I just have to get my, I have to write the ship and get ahead of it. But if I'm always looking at things as like just keeping up, then I'm always going to have a car payment. I'm always going to have a credit card payment, right? So like now I only ever use a credit card if like I absolutely have to, because that's the only way I can pay for something like an online subscription or something, right? For business, I cash, I cash pay everything now. And my last debt is my mortgage, which like I am committed to having paid off in like the next three years. And from there, like, mortgage-free, car payment-free, right? Because then all that extra money, the interest you're paying, that then I can go towards experiences and time with family and doing things I want to do and even maybe supporting efforts that I want to support. But I can't do that. I can't can't give to charity. I can't donate. I can't you know, give back financially if I'm stuck in a 
massive credit card payment every single month and just keeping my head afloat. Like how, how can I help others if that's the situation I'm in? Yeah. You know what I hear on this side, you know, that is a continuous thread is, and it goes from you being willing to jump ship and start your own thing or to go out on the cruise experience or Mm -hmm. to not drive the newest car or not be afraid to fail it. A lot of it just comes down to self-confidence and self-worth. And I think a lot of people, that's why they have a $1,500 car payment is because they don't, if it sounds, it's going to sound real woo woo, but it's, you know, they don't love themselves. And so they do and buy and just buy and buy and buy. And I have been in that position. I speak from experience. Mm -hmm thinking you're going to fill that hole, you know, and until, until you have that self-confidence there's, you know, and I love, I love your thought about, you know, just experience. Obviously that's the way I've lived my life. And it's, mm-hmm. there's a quote that's on my arm and it's also on Probably an Instagram post. I saw that I'm going to quote to someone else <laughs> going back to like MySpace. it's on everything is the cost of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. And it's a throw quote. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I leave a lot of podcasts when I'm a guest that way. And I think it's something we all need to think about. You know, it's not not 80 bucks. It's two hours of your life, four hours of your life. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at, start to look at things that way, it just gives it a completely different lens. Yeah. And I think if you start, well, I think in my mid to late 20s, I got really good and I don't necessarily know what, like cause this, but I got really good at observing what was happening around me. Like I started paying attention to like what was bringing joy, like true joy and fulfillment to people around me. What I saw other people wasting stress and time and money over, like the keeping up with the Joneses, right? Buying the brand new car and friends and like, you know, my early thirties who were doing these lavish trips, even though in the background, I knew that they couldn't afford it. I knew it was being paid by a fourth or fifth credit card. Instagram doesn't show you that. Instagram makes life look beautiful, but I know on the background that that's not what was happening. That was just show, right? And Band-Aid over Band-Aid. And like, I started really paying attention to people who, and some of these people like, you know, are in the online space, right? Not necessarily people that I can go and have dinner with tonight, but paying attention to people who truly had joy and fulfillment and how they were getting it. And then on the flip side, what was bringing other people down? Because my dad does not remember saying this, but I got laid off from a resort when I was like 18, 19. And it was like you said, the boss came in one day and said, thanks for all of your hard work, everyone. We're going to close shop for the winter. And it was like, you got to be out by tomorrow. <laughs> right. And I was like 19 at the time, whatever, 1920. And uh, one of, I was so frustrated because there was a whole few, like whole drama that was behind it. But my dad said to me, sometimes you need to see things done wrong in order to learn how to do them right. And like, He doesn't remember saying it, but like it is ingrained in here. Like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. And funny how those parent lessons stick with you. you Right. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Um, Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't even remember it just kills me. He's like, are you sure that was me? I was like, just take the credit and roll with it. (laughs) I always used to say the the older I get, the smarter my dad becomes. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. (laughs) But I, and I started like, I think a lot of it, like when I observe things that other people are doing where they're not fulfilled with joy, they're not, 
they give the the perception that they're happy, but you know, they're not when you get into real conversations with them, you know, they're not. And just seeing like, you know, I try not to spend much time on social media for that reason of, I know so much of what I see, especially people I know putting online is not true to form. And that just makes me sad. It makes me frustrated. So I try not to go down that rabbit hole. But when I started paying attention to the people who really were seeing joy and fulfillment and paying attention to the ones who were going down a wrong path, once I could see like these people are spending time on this, this, and this, and it's creating stress and anxiety and overwhelm, that's not what I want. I want this over here, right? And so I was watching people do it wrong to then be able to say like, that's not my path. This is my path. Yeah. Right. I still get it wrong. Don't get me like I still waste money on something I shouldn't. I still am not the most confident person in the world, even though some people think I am. Like I'm confident in some areas and definitely not in others, but better better than you used to be. That's all that matters, right? Oh <laughs> ideally, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's that whole like adage too, like, man, if I what I could tell my myself when I was like 18, right? If I could go back and write that letter to yourself at 18. I remember being 18 and like a teacher saying that. And I'm just like, oh, whatever. That's ridiculous. Like now I'm like, ah, man, there's so much I would have told myself back when I was 18 now. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be a book. (laughs) So with all of this experience, you know, and valuing experience over money, et cetera, Mm -hmm. how are you building your business now to guarantee, I use in quotes for those listening, that when you're 80, 90 years old, you're not on your deathbed saying, what if my whole life was wrong? The name of the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Which, maybe. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. <laughs> um, I think for me, when I'm trying to make decisions in my business, I am trying to make sure that everything I do aligns with who I am at my core. And so I have gotten really clear, especially over the last four or so years as to who I work with and who I don't work with and who I serve and who I don't serve. And I say that's kind of different because sometimes who you work with is who is referred to you and not somebody you expected to be serving, right? Like I've had some amazing referrals come my way that I never would have thought I would have been connected with that person or worked with that industry or whatever. When I first started my business, especially in those first two years, because anyone who has great advice when you start as your own business owner, you should expect to take a loss for the two first two years. That's usually what happens. Like, and, and I was definitely in that position of like, you want to work with me? Great. I'm, I'm in like who, and next thing you know, it's scope creep and it's, you know, somebody barking orders at me, like no different than I used when I used to work for a boss. And like, I got, I started to really realize like, mm, one, I don't want to serve everybody <laughs> and I don't want to do everything just because I can't, just because I'm good at tech. I don't want to do social media posting because I, I don't like it. It doesn't fire me up and it takes the joy out of the work I do. And if the joy is not in the work I do, I can't be of best service to other people, right? If I'm just doing the motions and just trying to get a paycheck. So I did that. Like I think a lot of people do when they first start their business. Now... When I got one of the pivots I made in my business, when I you know started to get that clarity is I defined what I didn't do. So on my website, most people will show you like what you do. I actually had a section that showed you what I didn't do. So if you're looking for somebody to do web design and social media, I'm not your gal, right? And I was very clear and transparent up front 
to like weed out the people who were going to look to me to do scope creep and take on projects that I wasn't aligned with and all that stuff. Now, because of like kind of those learnings, I'm even more specific. Like if I had been referred to you and you and I had a call and I was like, eh, I don't jive with this guy. Like there's something that doesn't click. I wouldn't have said yes. I would have been like, you know what, Roderick? Cool dude. I think you'd be better working with somebody else. Yeah. Right. But like, I I wouldn't have just taken the business just to take the business because if I don't believe in what you're doing, if I don't believe in what another client's doing, how can I actually really make impact for them and really be of service and be looking at things in their best interest versus it being transactional, right? Like I want to wake up in the morning and be like, how can I be a better service to Roderick? Not how can I get Roderick to give me more money? That's not it at the end of the day for me. So I think, you know, when I get to that point of, you know, being, being curled up with my hot chocolate and my, my cozy blanket when I'm 85 and trying to read a large print book, (laughs) I want to know that I worked with people I was aligned with, that the work I did with and for them brought value to them and helped them make a greater impact. Because if I can help you make greater impact, then I'm making impact, right? Like I might not be the person right on stage in front of a thousand people or whatever. But if I'm playing a role in the background, I'm helping you create impact. And to me, that's impact in exchange. So like, and at least I can say I tried is probably what I will always go back to, right? Who knows? Five years from now, we might come back and do another podcast and I could be selling cars. And hopefully I'll be doing a kick-ass job of selling cars, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah. But I can say I tried. Yeah, that that ability to to recognize change, you know, you're back to that. It's and not being afraid of it, and always always knowing that there's always more, man. There's always another one. You know, we we saw that in construction a lot. I I still work with a lot of construction people because that was my industry for so long. So now that I'm, mm. they came to me for advice when I was building, and so now that I'm a coach. I'm the clear yeah. next step to to ask about running their business now that I'm doing that full time. And it's it's absolutely what you see in that industry because it's very feast or famine. Typically they have trouble mm-hmm. budgeting and cash flow. And so they'll be in a down cycle. They'll take jobs with dicks, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. And depending on what, you know. I was a custom builder. I mean, I was in jobs with these people for sometimes two or three years. You know, we did really complex historic projects and, you know, and when you have that bad feeling about somebody and now you're married to them for two, three years and you you can't just walk away, like you have to finish the job, you know, so advising people on that, you know, where it's be, put yourself in a position to be able to pick who you want to work with, you know, and it's so true about this business too, in coaching, you know, i when I went through Brown, there was so many people that would just take, you call me and I'm going to spend an hour telling you why I'm great and why we should work together. No, we're going to spend an hour figuring out if you're a good fit for me (laughs) and if I can help you, you know, it has nothing to do with anything else. And it's, so it's just a different, it's a critical, but different way of looking at your business for sure. It really is. And I, I remember like when I, there was a kind of a tipping point in my business, probably around like the three year mark, maybe, yeah, probably around the three year mark or so where I recognized that most of my business was referral based. Like 
I only, I think, started having like Facebook ad spend last year because we were just playing around and because my accountant told me I needed to show more expenses in advertising. (laughs) But I was, I was so lucky to have made the right connections, been able to display my value to others to the point where I became referral based. And I remember having this moment where I was just like, I have more people coming to me than I can serve. What a crazy ass, great problem to have. And I'm like, I'm not out there feast and famining. Like you said, I'm not out there like taking all the business in the world and just like peddling myself and, you know, charging $15 an hour simply so I can invoice somebody and show that I'm making money. Like I'm at a point now where I've, I've clearly created value for people to show worth, to show impact. And now people are coming to me and I'm like, that is such a beautiful position to be in to, like you said, you're now having a conversation to make sure we're a great fit and that it's going to be, you know, mutually beneficial and reciprocating, even if that's just in like the joy and success you get from working for a client, not the monetary exchange, right? But mutually reciprocal in that perspective, to be able to be in that position and have those conversations where it's like, yeah, let's just make sure that this is right versus Roderick, let me talk to you for 45 minutes and give you a sales pitch about why you need to hire me. And essentially like constantly be like trying to sell myself and and do it in a way that's probably undermining my value and my worth. Because that's, I think, what a lot of people do when they first start as well. I sure did, for sure. When you get to that point where it's just having like two great people in the room together, exchanging value and worth and making a decision that's going to help the both of them, like to be in that position, like I hope I'm in that position long-term because being able to work with people who gravitate to you, like it's it's absolutely magical. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that I think comes just from being yourself. You know, I was having that, yeah. I was on a show yesterday or the day before, and it was, it was just being unapologetic about who you are and who you yeah. serve and why, you know, and the right people will come to you. It's when you try to be someone else or try to serve all 7 billion, 8 billion people that you start to run into trouble. Yeah. And it takes time too, right? Like it's not, it doesn't just happen overnight. And I think even when you do see that success of being referral based and having people, you know, come to you for your services, you still see downtimes in your business. Like we're in a downturn a little bit right now where I've transitioned away from some clients and to some degree, one, because like some have changed their path in business, one, because I decided to part ways with a client who was no longer aligned with me and was going down a path that I couldn't support. And I was able to actually stand up and say like, you know, I would rather stay true to my values and my like moral compass than to keep working with this person so that it's paying the bills. No, I'll close that door to allow another door open and that one will probably be more fruitful. It might take some time for that door to open, but I have to believe in like, you know, that law of attraction and abundance that the next door that's going to open is going to replace what was happening over here with something even more impactful. Right. But like, you know, you do go through those downturns still. And it's like having the the confidence and the faith and the assurance that you've been through those patches before. And, you know, the other side brings about some really good joy and abundance and fulfillment. But you might just have to wait a little bit. Right. And there's nothing wrong with yeah, that. But for sure. the people who go into it thinking it's an overnight success, it's a journey. 
as you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's so one. so important to identify those th- what makes you happy at the outset, mm. you know, and because it is a journey and it is hard work and it's, you know, eventually you get to the place where you can pull back a little bit, but when you love what you're doing, you never do. And that's why it's successful. Yeah. I remember somebody asked me once, they're like, oh, are you building your business so that you can sell it? And I was like, that has never crossed my mind. It is never. And I know people will tell you like, oh, don't brand things under your name because then it's not, you know, it's hard to like sell off the IP and things. And I've heard that advice and other, you know, whatever's. And I'm like, it's never crossed my mind, not from a, like an investment perspective or anything like that. But like, I just can't imagine not doing what I do. Yeah. Like I, I don't. Yeah, there, I'm sure like everybody else, I have some days where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to work from the couch today. Today's not so much like a get dressed office day, right? Which is a luxury of being a business owner. But at the end of the day, I can't imagine not doing what I do. I can't imagine not being of service to people and doing it in the way that I do. Because what I do right now, like fires me up so much. And I know it helps other people make impact. So like, it's like, I can't even think about, you know, somebody said like, well, what are you going to do when you retire? I'm like, what? Like, Ah, dude, I'm not even there yet. Like, give me another 20 years at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's really, that's how entrepreneurs are wired. And I, I don't think there's some, you know, 65 years old in a gold watch and I'm going to sit and fish all day. I mean, I was, I was wow. in that position last year. You know, I took all of six months off before it was all right. And then, you know, that's why, we, that's why we know each other. It's like, it's this whole other thing. <laughs> That is starting and it's, it it comes from that place, you know, how I can't die with all of this stuff in me. What do I do about it? Well, I write a book and I try to identify the people I want to help. Who do I surround myself with to make that possible? And you're one of those people. Yes. Which I'm humbled to be. So I say we leave it right there. Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Million Dollar Flip Flop Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you listen on. If this episode make you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. If you want to see more behind the scenes with Roderick and his guests, be sure to find them on Instagram. It's also where we can have deeper conversations on these episodes go to www.instagram.com forward slash million dollar flip flops. Until next time.